studio audience today. We thank God for her. She's celebrating, I believe it's her 49th birthday. And we thank the Lord for her and uh, that she drove all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, just to be here with us this weekend. And we uh, definitely are going to honor her and celebrate her. I've got, I was up all night, not only just studying the word, but uh, preparing two briskets to celebrate her with. And we, we just thank the Lord for her. And we're so thankful to God that uh, God extends our days for every day is a gift from the Lord for the breath that we breathe is of him and him alone. And we're just so thankful uh, for her and uh, the love that we share as a family. So we're excited about what God is doing. And um, it came to my mind that I don't often uh, remind anyone, if, you're, if you need to get in touch with us, um, if you have a prayer request, you're, you're going through something, you just need someone to talk to, um, you're trying to get an understanding, please feel free to reach out to us. The easiest way to get all of our information in one place is to go to our website. And that website is www.graceandmercyfc, F is in Frank, C is in Columbus, dot com. If you go there, you can go to our, um, our uh, users page and uh, all the information, emails, telephone numbers, and things of that nature are there uh, for you to be able to reach out to us. Um, we check it daily. If, if you send us an email, we will definitely get back to you. Uh, emails are checked constantly. Uh, we just want to be available to you and let you know that you have a resource in us. We will always do what we can. We know that we cannot do everything, so we don't promise that we can do everything, but we do promise we will do all that we can do to help you through this journey we call life. So again, if you have the need and uh, you just need prayer, you, you have a question you want to ask, you, you're looking for some understanding, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, again, the best way is to go to our website, www.graceandmercyfc.com. So let's get back into the word. We, we're coming from the, um, the topic of understanding our enemy, uh, understanding the, the uh, tactics of our enemy. And I was on the seventh point, and that seventh point that we were talking about um, is the priority of self over others. Now, had Jesus done what the devil uh, advocated, uh, he would have sinned, and then he would have ended. And, and just for context, uh, we're talking about the engagement in uh, Matthew where uh, Jesus and the devil engaged each other in conflict in the uh, desert. Uh, after he had been baptized, after the 40 days of fast, and after receiving the word from the Lord that God was uh, pleased with him and that, he was, that Jesus was his son. So if he would have taken the bait, which was turning stones into bread, he would have sinned. And it, in essence, he would have ended the great redemption plan for the salvation of sinners. You see, Christ had a, a choice of putting his need of physical bread above the need of others you see we have a need for spiritual bread Jesus in that moment had a need for physical bread it's 40 days of fasting he's at the conclusion of this fast and he's hungry because he is as much human as we are John 6 and 35 says and Jesus said unto them I am the bread of life he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So what we see Christ do, which I wish 
we would see more in humanity is Jesus chose the need of others as being more important than the need of himself. Amen. However, the devil puts self first. Mark 8 and 35 says, For whatsoever will save his life, shall, or whosoever rather, shall save his life, shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall be saved. Shall be, uh, saved. So it's important to understand, and, and you, over the last week or so, I've been uh, putting out posts on Facebook talking about the necessity of the believer to focus on the needs of others and essentially the needs of Christ in and through our lives rather than the mode of what we've been going through or, or, or talking about as the body of Christ, which is really satisfying the needs of self. When you look at the ministries that are out there and you hear some of the sermons that are being taught, they're not sermons that are, are directing you, really pointing towards God, uh, what you can do for the Lord, for the kingdom of God, the call of God on your life. But they're more about uh, Jesus being Santa Claus and what he can give you. And if you do these things, then you get these things. And, uh, you know, whether and, and we can talk doctrine and, and theology and we can argue that back and forth. But at the end of the day, what Jesus demonstrated was always the needs of others over his own personal need. And if we are called to be the reflection of Christ in the earth, then our reflection of Jesus should always be the needs of others over our own personal needs. The eighth point is the priority of the temporal over the eternal. You see, Satan advocated that Christ meet his temporal need of bread and satisfying his natural hunger and ignore the eternal consequences of being disobedient. And it's the priority that so many follow would say, live for today and care not about tomorrow. It's the priority that says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. 1 Corinthians 15 and 32. And this is the attitude that we see in the world. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And for some, they believe tomorrow may never come. Tomorrow may never show up. So why worry about tomorrow? Let's just live for today. Do for today and satisfy the needs of self. However, this was not the example that Jesus set for us. The ninth example is the priority of sight over faith. You see, Satan would tempt Jesus to live by sight rather than living by faith. You see, sight said, make, uh, make bread out of the stones, which you can see, though it was not the will of God to do this. Faith says, he, you know, Jesus should obey God and trust God to supply the need of the bread that's necessary to satisfy the need uh, uh, of the hunger. Now, you do not know from where the supply will come. But scripture says in Hebrews 11 and 6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, God had earlier testified concerning Christ at Christ's baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, Matthew 3 and 7. And the, de the devil emphasizes the son of God part in God's statement. But as we see in Christ's defeat of the temptation, Christ emphasized the well-pleased part rather than the son part. You see, he had a priority on faith. 
Faith always puts the emphasis on pleasing God. Sight will always put the emphasis on pleasing self. The tenth point is the priority of the false over the genuine. Turning stones into bread, uh, you know, looked like a great achievement for Jesus, but it would not be a great achievement. It would actually be a great defeat. You see, the principle of the devil's proposition is to achieve apparent success at the cost of real success. And there are a lot of synthetic Christians today. You know, it's something that's synthetic. It means it ain't real. And there are a lot of not real or uh, fake Christians running around today. They have the title, but they don't have the character. They are, you know, not, uh, they're not, they're not real. They're just phony. They are satisfied to play the role of Christian rather than live the life of a Christian. And it's not as hard on the flesh if you play the role versus living the life. I'm preparing a lesson right now in case that we do it, we uh, ordain any ministry in uh, Detroit when we go to our holy convocation uh, for the Greater Emmanuel Fellowship International uh, Church Organization um, here coming up in a couple of weeks. And the title is, Are You Willing to Die for This? Well, and we're, we're going to express the necessity of laying your life down. You've heard me say this before. It's easy for cows to give you milk. It doesn't cost the cow much to give you milk. But if the cow's ever going to give you meat, the cow has to lay its life down to feed you meat. But it's hard when you walk in the Christian life genuinely. It's hard. It's not what many people have made it out to be. It's not roses and sunshine every day. This is a lie that people tell, that as soon as you give your life to Christ, that everything's going to be A-OK. What's A-OK is your destination. You're secured to be with God for eternity, and that's awesome. But I was reading some family conversation uh, that we were having back and forth yesterday, and I was advised that my sister, uh, Leah, um, almost set her leg on fire. And only Leah would be able to do this in the manner in which Leah did it. She has a burn pile going. She's far away from the burn pile, walking in the opposite direction. And a piece of something in the burn burn pile lifts up in the air, catches the wind, follows after her, wraps itself around her foot, and ends up giving her a burn around her ankle. Now this, we laugh in our family, we say only Leah. This, this would only happen to Leah. You'd have to know Leah to understand kind of the, the in-family humor. But sometimes life is going to be difficult. Now I would argue that she's a believer. I would argue that she is, is uh, uh, wholeheartedly believing that God looks out for her and cares for her. And there are many people that have the same belief, yet that belief is shaken and they are frustrated when something like that happens. And I use that as kind of an antidote, but um, really in the life of believers, if you begin to analyze, every day you wake up is not uh, in essence to the things that you're going to experience uh, in your natural uh, way of looking things. It's not going to be considered a good day. 
Now, by faith, we say that all days are good because, first off, they're created by God. They belong to God. And because we are his, no matter what we endure in the day, God somehow works these things out for our good. And in the end of them, we prosper. And that's a wonderful thing. If you, if you read scripture, you'll find that Jesus often uh, or, or God often tells us in, in the word, you know, these amazing promises. You're going to have this. You're going to go here. You're going to accomplish this. And he tells you the end of the story, but he doesn't tell you very much about the journey. But when you begin to read the journey that came prior to the arrival at the harvest or the victory or the great success, it's difficult. He told us what it was going to end up like, but sometimes he doesn't tell us how it's going to be getting there. Because he knows that if we really knew what the journey was often, many of us would never get to enjoy the great goal or the success that awaits us because we would not go into the journey. Because we have this idea that, you know, everything should be just easy for us. But that's just simply not the truth. You know, the perversion uh, that's in this command that the uh, devil gives to Jesus to turn uh, bread into stone, uh, a command that um, it's perverted uh, and it's also crafty because it's a mixture of truth and error at the same time. You see, Satan is a master of mixing truth and error. And no error is as effective and corrupting as that error which has some truth in it. As a matter of fact, the lie that has some truth in it is so much more believable than just a flat-out lie. Now, let me, let me break this down for you. Hunger is not a sin. And Satan didn't tempt Jesus to do something inherently sinful uh, in tempting him to eat bread. It's okay to eat food. If you're hungry, eat food. Satan didn't tempt Christ to satisfy some vile or vulgar desire of his flesh, but in actuality, an innocent one. Satan perverts the command by mixing the lawful fact of hunger with the unlawful act of turning stones into bread. And at least three great practices of perversion can be seen in this uh, command to make stones turn into bread. These three commands can be seen, as, these three perversions can be seen as the perversion of doing a right thing the wrong way. Let me give you a second to write that down. Doing a right thing the wrong way. The world coins the phrase, the ends justify the means. The second perversion is doing the right thing, but at the wrong time. Doing the right thing, but at the wrong time. And third, doing the right thing, but your motives are wrong. You're still doing the right thing, but your motives are jacked up. So let's talk about these three real quick today. First, doing the right thing in a wrong way. You see, eating is a right thing. But making bread out of stones was the wrong way to provide for the need of his hunger. Amen. Another way of looking at this a perversion is the ends justify the means, the philosophy which is very popular in our day. And it says the end is acceptable, which satisfying the hunger was in this case. 
then it does not matter what means are used to satisfy the hunger because satisfying the hunger is okay. So in essence, you can lie, you can steal, you can cheat, you can do whatever you need to do so long as the end goal is good. But this is a poisonous mixture of both truth and false uh, ideology of good and evil, of holy, of a holy end and demands of, of holy means. You see, our churches have employed and continue to employ many carnal methods in trying to improve their attendance and popularity, uh, you know, in their churches and in their services, which frustrates me to no end. They've made church a carnival in order to attract the crowd. Not only are cheap gimmicks being employed to attract people to the church, but so also are such things as contemporary music, worldly entertainers, compromising doctrines, and lower standards being employed to make the church more popular. The church has gotten away from teaching doctrine. Doctrine is what we live by. My father used to tell me this all the time in our uh, presiding bishop says this often himself if you don't stand for something you're going to fall for anything right. you see this does uh, it, it makes churches popular by doing some of these things but it also makes them polluted and you don't want polluted you want clean the second uh, is doing a right thing at the wrong time you see, sooner or later, Christ would have to satisfy his hunger. He couldn't just go forever without eating because he was 100% human as much as he was 100% God. But the time had not yet come for him to eat. Satan, however, would rush matters and have Christ turn stones into bread so that Jesus could eat right away. Satan always has shortcuts but they are all sinful. He seduces people by telling them that they do not have to wait for God's time, but can have what they desire or feel their pleasure right now. It's the impatient syndrome. Immorality is an uh, illustration of the perverted thinking of doing a right thing at the wrong time. Let me give you an example. Sex is not inherently evil. But outside of marriage, it is rebellion against the plan and the design of God. Amen. However, much of the world doesn't want to wait for marriage. As a matter of fact, most of the world is doing away with marriage. They've listened to the devil and have taken the shortcut. They live as if they're married, enjoy the fruits of marriage, but they don't get married. So they're living in sin. Amen. And this shortcut is a shortcut to misery and will end up in judgment third thing doing a right thing with a jacked up motive that means your motive isn't good you see satan's challenge about the identity of christ would corrupt christ's motivation if he turned stones into bread he would essentially be doing it at the instigation of the devil under the fleshly pride of proving that he was who god just said he was that's certainly not a good motivation for doing anything. Your motive reveals your character. Matter of fact, you ought to put that down on Facebook. Put it in the content, uh, the, the, the uh, comment section or tweet that out. My motivation reveals my character. 
It's always the motive that gives the action its quality. If you cannot be motivated by Calvary to be faithful to the Lord in service, but, to ha but have to be motivated by cheap gimmicks, then your motive is evil and your reward for service will be nothing. At the end of the day, the enemy wants you to follow his plan rather than following the plan of God. His desire is for you to turn away from God. Now, he can't force you to turn away from God, but he can, in conjunction with your flesh, drive you away from God if you allow it. The enemy has no power. He was defeated. He has no power over you to make you do anything. God has ensured that the power actually belongs to you. You see, he gave us the gift of the indwelling presence of his spirit. His spirit in us. Not for us to use according to our will, but that it might accomplish the will of God for our life. Too often... We give in to all the things that we see because on the surface they may seem right, they may feel right, they may sound right. But at the end of the day, they're corrupt. They're diluted with lies and misinformation. At the end of the day, they're wrong. Amen. We too often take and bring into the body of Christ the things that we see going on in the world when we are supposed to be starkly different. We're supposed to be a different breed. My cousin puts that out when she puts things on Facebook, Elder Loretta shout. Uh, she says, a different breed. And I have to ask the question, just how different are we? When you can go into a church and you're not sure if you've walked into a club or not. When you can go into a believer's home and you're not really sure if this is a believer or not, just from the things that you see and the things that you hear. I know it seems old-fashioned in a sense because now just as uh, the phrase in the world is, we are woke, there are a lot of Christians walking around with the idea and the ideology that they are woke to new ways and new revelations. But the Bible says that God doesn't change. Right. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever he demanded of his people before in times past has not changed in today. Amen. Don't allow the enemy to feed you with nonsense to cause you to go down a path that you will ultimately regret in that day when Jesus cracks the sky. Because I know that there will be people here that won't understand what's going on because they never even, uh, you know, came into a church or uh, took time to listen or to read uh, the word of God to understand uh, the going away, the catching up, the rapture of the church. So they won't really know what's going on. But there are going to be some fake Christians here. There are going to be some fake Christians sitting in churches who am I kidding? We don't go to church anymore. So they'll be sitting on their couch. And the newscast will come across that says people are disappearing from all over the world. And they're going to know in that moment playing the role is not enough. 
giving into the tactics of our enemy is not enough. I encourage you, go back to last week's sermon. Tie that sermon to this sermon. Listen to them. Learn from them the way the enemy attacks you. The Bible declares that we're not ignorant of his devices, his schemes, his strategies. God, God is not only telling us and revealing to us exactly what it is the enemy does and how he does it, but he gives you the key to success in every encounter that you could ever have with the devil. He's a powerless enemy who is crafty, he's smart, he's intelligent, but he has no power over you. You have knowledge to defeat him. Amen. God gave it to you. He wrote it in the book. It all, when you think about uh, how strategy goes today, if I strategize something, and you can think about this in relation to, to football because this is uh, something that you see in football that um, you know, comes out and becomes a big problem, and uh, a lot of people are frustrated uh, when this happens, but you have a team in a practice facility practicing, and you have a spy that comes in to watch the practice, Tom Brady. And then they you know, film it, and then they go back, and their defense studies what they just you know, watched. Their offense studies what they just watched the, their opponent do. Now, I say Tom Brady just jokingly, but the, the Patriots were accused and have been accused of doing something similar to this. They would go and they would change their plan to meet the plan of the enemy. And the other team didn't know. And the other team would often say, if we'd have known, we wouldn't have done it that way. But when I read the Bible, the devil's been doing the same thing the same way since he's come on the scene. He can't even change. God, God's not only telling you how he's going to come at you, but he can't even change knowing it's written down. And unfortunately, he knows that too many people, even though they know it, and they'll see it coming at them, won't move out the way. Amen. You know, it's like the person that, you know, sees a cake flying at them and it looks like everything's moving in slow motion and they had time to duck, but they just watch it coming until it impacts their face. Sometimes, people of God, there are things that you need to do. God prepares you to do those things. Amen. You cannot rely on God doing everything for you. That's not what he created you for. He did not create you to do everything for you. What he did do was empower you, anoint you, gift you, fill you with his, with his spirit, his presence, his, anoint, his uh, authority, and his power through the gift of the uh, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He's given you the ability through word of knowledge to be successful. You have to apply. Application, if you go back several weeks, application, application, application is what's important. And many of us, and, and I'm talking about believers, if you were to hear them when they're angry, 
you would wonder whether or not they truly believed in what they said they believed in. They'll cuss you out, up and down, inside and out, but then call themselves a believer. When the word of God says a believer cannot both curse you and bless you from the same lips. It's time for us to be real with ourselves. Who am I? Where am I? Have I fooled myself? Have I given in to the tricks of the enemy and become the very thing that the enemy has desired me to be while all the while thinking I'm what God wants me to be? This is why constant uh, analyzing of self is so vital to your success as a believer. And if you realize you're making a mistake, stop. Repent. What does that mean? No, I'm not saying go cry in the corner because you're sad and sorry about what you did and you just it just hits you that, you know, cussing folk out ain't the way a believer should talk. And you just realize that and you're like, oh, wow, I never really thought about it that way and uh, I'm really sorry. And then you go right back to cussing folk out when they get you mad. No, you didn't get it. The Bible says repent. In other words, stop doing what it is you're doing that's contrary to the word of God regardless of what people might be doing to you. Because at the end of the day, when I stand before God to answer for everything that not only I've done, but even the things I've thought, I will never be able to justify my actions, my behaviors, my beliefs because I state, well, so-and-so did this. I cussed them out, Lord, because, well, they were mean to me. They were, they were cursing at me, so I gave them back what they were giving me. When a believer has died to self and allowed Christ to live, and that's not the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do when they beat him, when they ripped his beard from his face, when they spit on him and mocked him and said, if you be the son of God, come down off the cross. He saved so many but can't save himself. Tore his clothes. Hung him on the cross naked. What did Jesus do? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As a matter of fact, I challenge you. The next time someone's mistreating you, don't fall for the ploy of the devil. When they're cussing you out in that moment, remember today. Remember when you took a moment to listen to the word of God and remember these words. Jesus forgave me. Empower me to forgive this person. And instead of giving as good as you're getting, tell the person, I forgive you. I know you don't even know what you're doing. And don't think that another believer can't be overcome because scripture tells us that Peter, a disciple of Christ, who walked with Christ, ate with Christ, sat with Christ daily for the entirety of his ministry. Jesus looked at him one day and said, get thee hence Satan. 
because he had allowed himself to be overcome and to begin to develop by word the plan of the enemy rather than the plan of God. So I challenge you, when your flesh wants to get its pound of flesh, tell your flesh you're fat enough. You don't need any more pounds. Amen. Matter of fact, you're going to go on a diet and lose some by giving to others what God gave to you. I hope that these last two weeks have encouraged you, opened your heart and your mind to the understanding of not just how the enemy attacks us, but how you can be successful even when he's attacking. You know, one of my favorite movies, The Matrix, and I'm going to close with this statement. And yes, I know that's amazing. But I'm going to close with this statement right here. Morpheus is trying to tell Neo how great Neo is going to be. He's describing the myth, the legend that is Neo, the story that had been passed down, what they had been looking for and expecting and how it was going to manifest in, in Neo's life. And Neo says, are you trying to tell me I can dodge bullets? And Morpheus says, no, I'm trying to tell you, you won't have to. And then at the end of the movie, as the movie progresses, you see Neo trying to do the dodging of bullets, and he does pretty good at it. Gets nicked a couple of times, but nobody else could even do that. Until the very end, when he really realized who he was, and they fired a barrage of bullets at him. He stood there as the bullets approached, put out his hand and said no. And all the bullets froze. And then he just started plucking them out the sky, looking at them, and then ultimately they fell to the floor. Well. What am I saying in this? I'm saying that God has set you up so that you don't even have to dodge the attack of the enemy. Amen. Amen. But you can stand there in the face of whatever he throws at you and just say stop. Amen. Command the enemy because this is the gift that God has given you. The Bible says resist him and he shall flee from you. He doesn't say that you will flee from him. He doesn't say run. Run, run away when the enemy comes. He says, resist him and he will flee from you. So understand this, people of God, when the enemy's shooting at you, I don't have to dodge his bullets. I can command his bullets to stop. God bless you. Have an awesome day in the Lord. Take some time out to celebrate this day. For this is the day the Lord has made. Yes, it is. And the Bible declares that we should rejoice and be glad in it. Make it an awesome Sunday. God bless you.